Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm sure that by now all of you know that the Holy Father has written a new encyclical, Fratelli Tutti. It's a social encyclical that, like the previous encyclical by Pope Francis, Laudato Si, deals with many themes. I've spent most of my week speaking to various people about Fratelli Tutti. And so today on the Salt and Light Hour, we're going to look at many of those themes and listen to the many voices who will help us unpack the encyclical. So if you haven't read it, no worries. This is all you need to do is listen to today's program. We'll hear from Carolyn Wu, former president of Catholic Relief Services, Marie-Claude Lalonde, national director of Aid to the Church in Need Canada, and Luke Stocking of Development and Peace Caritas Canada. We're also going to hear from a Franciscan Sister of the Eucharist, Sister Damien Marie Savino, and Father Stan Chu Ilo, who's a Nigerian priest teaching in Chicago. But first, we will hear from Toronto's Archbishop, Cardinal Thomas Collins, who has some very important points to help us put the whole encyclical in perspective before we move on. Remember that if you're not going to be able to listen to the whole program, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash podcast, or subscribe to the Salt and Light Hour wherever you get your podcasts. We begin now with Cardinal Thomas Collins of Toronto. Cardinal Collins, Reminence, welcome. Good to see you. Well, it's just great to be here. It, it really is nice to to spend a little time and reflecting on this new encyclical of our Holy Father. Absolutely. It's quite um, a remarkable uh, document, and it leads us in different ways to go more deeply into what he calls uh, social friendship, which is an interesting term. It's very rarely used before. It is a very interesting term, uh, and sometimes a little easier to grasp than, than the term fraternity. But first, uh, Your Eminence, tell me what were, what, what were your, your general thoughts on the encyclical when you first read it? Well, it's a marvelous encyclical. It's very long, so it's, there's a lot there. I think you, I don't think in a few minutes we're going to be able to to go through hardly any of it, but just a few high points. Uh, but it 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 really uh, draws us to spend a fair bit of time, take it one piece at a time, going through it. And for to help in that, the Vatican uh, Office of Migration and you over there have provided summaries and even infographics. To help us to to understand the encyclical, so we need to go through it slowly, reflect upon it, chew over it, and and see the the treasures that are within. Yeah, so that's good. But I, I'll just mention a few a few points today. Yeah, no, no, that's very useful information for our viewers. Thank you for mentioning that. I, w I was curious to know your thoughts on the title. Why is it called Fratelli Tutti? Well, this is a, a very interesting because. When it was announced before anyone ever read the encyclical that it was going to be called Fratelli Tutti, which seems brothers all or all brothers. Mm -hmm. And there were some people thinking, isn't that a bit narrow? It's going to be brothers and sisters all. Uh, and But no, no, the, the Holy Fathers, you know, it's Fratelli Tutti, not Fratelli and Sorelli Tutti. And the reason is, it's not the Pope saying to us, brothers all, to and in, in not including sisters. He's quoting He's very specifically quoting the sixth admonition of St. Francis of Assisi. And as we know from the very name, Francis, which he chose, and I was there when he chose it, I thought he said, I will be called Francis, and I thought would be Francis Xavier, because he's a Jesuit. But no, it's Francis of Assisi. <laughs> and so what he, he quotes, the opening words of this encyclical, and I think you should hear admonition six of St. Francis, 
This is what he says. Let us all, brothers, fratelli tutti, let us all, brothers, consider the good shepherd who to save his sheep bore the suffering of the cross. The sheep of the Lord followed him in tribulation and persecution and shame, in hunger and thirst, in infirmity and temptations, and in all other ways. And for these things they have received everlasting life from the Lord. Wherefore it is a great shame for us, the servants of God, that whereas the saints have practical practice works, we should expect to receive honor and glory for reading and preaching the same. And so we we simply, this is what it's about. The Pope has called it Fratelli Tutti for a purpose. And so I think what we should do is, apart from studying and reflecting on it, pay attention to what he signals in the opening lines in the very name of the encyclical. So mm -hmm. I think what he's calling us to do is something very similar to a prayer I pray every morning at the end of uh, the, I do the, after we celebrate mass, it's all live stream. Um, we do have the, the St. Michael prayer, the Angelus, the, um, the rosary, the, the Hail Holy Queen, and then the prayer of Pope Francis in time of pandemic. And it sounds exactly like admonition six. Wow. Uh, uh, Saint uh, of Saint Francis. It is Christ bears our sufferings on the cross, and therefore we need to be one with Christ in this. So uh, this is deeply connected to the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord in the very opening words, which are the title of the encyclical. Yeah. So I think as we read the whole encyclical, we need to be aware of that because another thing he's trying to do. Uh, as it used to be encyclicals are written to the bishops of the church or the bishops and the Christian people or things like that. He wants this encyclical to go to everyone, not just not even just Christians. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes uh, when he when he speaks, he says at one point, I am writing this out of the depth of my Christian faith, mm -hmm. but I'm writing it to in hoping to include people who are uh, do not have Christian faith, and I think you'd also mean have no faith at all. Mm -hmm. And so at times he's he's trying to, uh, instead of simply saying, as Jesus says, uh, which would be, you know, we would understand what he means, he sometimes is, speaks more generally, but he named the encyclical after the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the heart of Ammonition 6. Very uh, significant, yes. Yeah, that, that in the title itself, there's a whole teaching right there. Um, the protagonist, if I can say that, of the encyclical is the, the, the figure of the Good Samaritan. Yes. Um, that's also an important uh, lesson there for all of us. You know, I think it's very important. That right as, after he does the introductory section of, on, on the purpose of the encyclical, which he says is to make a modest contribution to the social teaching of the church. Very <laughs> humble, it's a modest contribution. So after he says that, and he does mentions the various people he wants to, then he gets immediately into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's where, although he's trying to speak to, in words that will be, uh, be, be able to be picked up by people who don't have any faith, or who don't, certainly don't have Christian faith, or maybe no faith, he does nonetheless start, he wants to start with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, this is, he said, this is my faith, and this is what I want to speak from. Uh, and in that he's very much like St. Francis, who went to speak to the Sultan, and he refers to that as well. And he went to proclaim, he said, St. Francis, it's not mentioned in this letter, in the letter itself, I come as an ambassador of Jesus Christ the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, but he, speaking here of the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I think even people with no Christian faith or any faith could identify with. 
And and here we have the Samaritan is dealing with someone at the side of the road. And one point the Holy Father makes many other places throughout the encyclical is that we don't treat people like things. We treat people like persons. It's social friendship. It's not even social justice he's talking about. It's social friendship. And that means we must relate to others as persons. And the others, um, like the priest and the Levite going along, they go a little to the side of the road. They see this as a problem at the side, the other side of the road, as something abstract. But the Good Samaritan, who is himself at the side of the road, because he's not, he's one of these people on the periphery, he's not in the center of things, he has maybe been there before. You know, I have always a feeling, somebody once said, I forget where that. The Samaritan may have actually been in the situation of one of the, the priests of the Levi probably never been there, but he kind of knew. And so he reaches out to him. And so the, the person who is himself sort of marginalized reaches out and treats the person of the side of the road as a person, a who, not a what. And I think that's central to treating people, uh, and the way our Lord does in his suffering, death, and resurrection, which is what St. Francis talks about in Admonition 6, which is the heart and center of this encyclical. Yeah, it's all it's all connected. And of course, the Holy Father mentions uh, some other figures, Gandhi, some other figures from other religions, but there's one last figure that he mentions at the end of the encyclical, a brother Charles. I think some oh. people might know him as little brother Charles. Can you tell us why he's in there? Oh, this is amazing because I have always, Charles de Foucault, who's been beatified by, by Pope Francis, Charles de Foucault is a wonderful saint. Well, not canonized yet, but yeah, I'm sure he will be. Uh, and he's somebody who went, he had a profound conversion in his life, sort of like St. Francis, though they were you know, very different. Although Charles was French and Francis means French. So because, you know, there we are. Uh, his father, I think, went to business in France. We called his son Francesco uh, after the French. Um, but Charles de Foucault was a kind of an aristocrat and he was, you know, drunk and living a wild life and doing all that kind of stuff. And, but he was a courageous soldier. He went and he traveled and did all kinds of things and very strong. And then, but he realized his life was messed up. And so he was, he just was in a a church in Paris and he had a profound conversion experience, just like St. Paul on the road to Damascus. So for a while he became, he who was a big aristocrat, he became a gardener and a kind of a porter at a, a convent in Nazareth. So he was just, you know, cleaning up and doing things for the nuns there. And then he became a Trappist brief. He was tried to being a Trappist, I must say, as a diocesan priest. He ended up as a diocesan priest of a diocese in France. And his bishop let him go off to uh, the deserts of, of, uh, of uh, Algeria and to a place called Taman Rasset. There's a great book called The Sands of Taman Rasset, which is the biography of Charles. Mm-hmm. And there he went, and he had absolutely no success. Yeah. He spent years there. He was, he, the people, all the people didn't all become Catholic. They didn't all become Christian. He was spending time in adoration and in prayer and in, in connecting to the Tuareg people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, during the struggles of the war of World War I, they they came and they uh, the people some of the rebels people there they they came and they when they saw people the French soldiers trying they killed them, so he died a martyr, mm-hmm. and it seemed useless, and yet the holiness of Charles and this is I think a theme that Pope Francis speaks on the different occasions, 
Here is a man who had no obvious success, and yet after his example, and as they became the little brothers of Jesus, the little sisters of Jesus, millions of people have had their lives transformed by the man who had no earthly success when he was alone in the desert. Everybody left him. He was just alone. He spent his time adoring our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, when the, finally the people came and found his body, they found the, tab- the, the monstrance there, and they brought the, the Lord, uh, the Eucharist, mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Pope Francis ends off, he begins with St. Francis, and he ends with Blessed Charles de Foucault, and then an appeal to people. Mm-hmm. It's quite remarkable. It is. It is. And I think most people, as you said, are not familiar with, with uh, Brother Charles. But uh, thank you for sharing that story with us and, and um, helping us put the whole encyclical into a very different perspective that I've heard from other people. Um, thank, you so thank you for, for, for teaching us today, uh, Cardinal Thomas Collins. Thank you for sharing your insights and your knowledge with us today. Thanks. Thanks very much, Deacon Major. That was a conversation I had with Cardinal Thomas Collins, Archbishop of Toronto. To watch this interview, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash fratelli tutti. In a little bit, we're going to hear how the Good Samaritan is a model for all those who do development work. But first, here's a conversation I had with Carolyn Wu. She's the retired president of Catholic Relief Services, the Caritas Partner for the United States Catholic Bishops. Carolyn, uh, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you, Pedro. And uh, before we go into more themes from this encyclical, I just want to pull back for a second. This is sort of like the second of two bookends mm-hmm. to Pope Francis' encyclical, Laudato Si and now Vitali Tutti. Um, Laudato Si focuses on the environment, God's creation, and this pivots on people. And they're not two separate things, as Professor told us in the first encyclical. They're two sides of the same coin. But this particular encyclical focuses now on people, and particularly the world and how people are faring in the midst of all sorts of what he called dark clouds. You know, from the pandemic, to economic inequality, to the migration problems, and so on. But there are really two major uh, principles that he introduced. One is the inherent, inviolable dignity of people, because we are all made by God. So there is an inherent dignity which takes priority over everything else. So as he goes into developing the other chapters, is really to see the primacy of people and people's well-being and their dignity over everything else. The second principle is about togetherness, that we are not facing this as a single person. We're not isolated. Uh, We're not just doing it all on uh, our own power, but we do it as a family. We are all brothers and sisters. A sense that we're not in isolation, but there is a sense of belonging. That it is not just of the power of one, but the power of all of us together. So those are the two principles. It's the inherent dignity of people and the fact that of fraternity and that we are a family. 
Right. right. That's the underpinning. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you you started there because, in fact, that's where I wanted to start. And you you mentioned dark clouds, and that's where the encyclical starts. But not not to say that it's a negative encyclical. Um, however, would you say that this is the right time in in what we're living? This is the perfect time for this encyclical. Absolutely, Pedro. This is the right time because in the encyclical, the Pope says we need to address reality. We need to walk into reality. We do not need to deny the things which are not working well. That this confidence in God and in each other is our hope as to how we would navigate all these difficulties. So, and of course, when he was writing this, uh, uh, the coronavirus hit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that exposed not only our individual uh, vulnerability, but it showed the inequality and the disparate capacity of people to step up to this. And of course, he's still dealing with the environment, you know, and also the financial uh, distresses in different countries. So this is absolutely the right time because he also sensed that people, instead of opening to others, we're balkanizing, mm -hmm. you know, out of fear, we are closing our doors, we're closing our borders. So he talked a lot about this populism, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like a tribal mm -hmm. uh, instinct to close in, to build walls. And therefore he said, we need to be open. But I think he is sensing, and it's true across the world, we are seeing this, the need to sort of close in rather than open up. Right, that fear. Um, in, you have a lot of experience, Carolyn, uh, working for actually those two main things that you mentioned for, to, 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 to work towards human dignity, supporting, upholding human dignity, and, and bringing people together. Um, do you think that it's, and I hate to say this, but is it as simple as fraternity? Is that really what we need to solve all the world's problems? I think fraternity is a simple concept, but needs a very big heart and a lot of conversion to be able to do that. I think in an environment like this, it's easy to be anxious, to be uncertain, to feel like you don't have enough resources to deal with all the various challenges. So the natural instinct is to say, I don't have enough for me, I therefore have nothing for you. So I always contend that uh, people are not so much mean-spirited that people who are like that, they're not even necessarily selfish, but they are fearful. Mm -hmm. And that fear makes us self-centered. Mm -hmm. um, and so he is telling us you have to open and you have to believe and that there is enough for everyone. Um, so I think it's a very, very simple concept, Pedro, but it's very difficult because it's grounded this, this need to close in is grounded in fear. Yeah. And the Pope said one more thing, which is a very important thing. He said, the type of protection that we build from fear could never free us from fear. If you build something you know, out of fearfulness, that something will lock you in. <laughs> it will just make you even more fearful. Yes. You cannot break out of fear. Yeah. If you built from fear, exactly, and and he's giving us the the alternative, 
of fear, which really is love. But I think fraternity, as you said, I, I, how some people, you, we don't want to ground ourselves in fear. If we ground, ground ourselves in fraternity, then you can find concrete actions like building bridges instead of building walls. And he gives examples like that. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. And walking towards people instead of away from them. I think that's why the Good Samaritan, there are many stories you could illustrate, you know, and many uh, various verses that you could use to illustrate, you know, the corporate work of mercy. Yeah. But the Good Samaritan was so powerful because you know, people kept on walking away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whenever they encountered that poor Samaritan, they walked away. And I think that is this point that we cannot walk away from people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, maybe in closing, Carolyn, uh, how would you, as a, as a lay Catholic woman living in the United States, how, how can you take this document and make it practical in your own life? I think there are three things you can do. The first thing is to say, you know, all of us have a sense of we versus not we, you know, the they. I think number one is to ask yourself, where do I draw the boundaries of who is we and who is not we? Because those are the people that we ignore. Those are the people that we're not empathetic about. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing is for every one of us to really have a bit of a reflection um, of who are we and sometimes say, you know, I am not for these people because they brought it on themselves. Um, they've had opportunities, they just didn't do this, they didn't do that. Or, I'm sorry, I came to this country legally, and so why shouldn't they come to this country legally? And so all of us have certain boundaries, um, and they're not so much out of bad intentions, but we are all rigid in some way. So that's the first thing. The second thing then is uh, learning more. Uh, we cannot really empathize unless we really know the stories and we're willing to encounter people um, to know, you know, what they are seeking, not just what brought them to where they are, but what is second chance for them? What would they like to do? Um, where would they want their lives to be? And the third is actually to do something, yeah. you know, within our means. And it's not just giving money. Sometimes it could be to go tutor. Sometimes it's to help the church start a program or participate, participate in programs where there's these outreaches. But the second point is very important. A lot of times we say, go and help someone. But when, until you really sort of could understand their story, the type, that we help, the type of help we can give could be very shallow and very uh, patronizing. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And you're making me think that maybe one of the simplest things we can do, and the Holy Father talks about this in the encyclical, is dialogue. But dialogue means listening. So as long as we sit in front of the person that's in front of us and listen, that's maybe one of the easiest first things we can do to, to build a world of more fraternal world. Stories. Right, yeah. Carolyn, it's so good to, to see you today, to, to hear your thoughts on this document. And uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, your insights with us today. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Pedro. And Bye -bye. thank you for your work on this uh, uh, encyclical. That was a conversation I had with Carolyn Wu, former president of Catholic Relief Services. You can learn about their work at crs.org.
We heard from Cardinal Collins about how integral the figure of the Good Samaritan is to Fratelli Tutti. Earlier this week, I also spoke with Luke Stocking of uh, Canada's Development and Peace Agency about how the Good Samaritan inspires his development work. Luke, it's so good to have you with us today. Always good to be here. Great to see you, Pedro. So you've been doing development work for many years. You read the encyclical. You've heard the Good Samaritan how many times, and something, something struck you. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it was, it was chapter two when, you know, after Pope Francis finishes basically laying out, you know, how terrible things are in the world right now in terms of the lack of fraternity in the world and uh, then begins with a, with a deep reflection into the parable of the Good Samaritan as the Christian response to that age old question of, you know, as it's posed, and he and he, he says it goes back to you know the the to the book of Genesis and the question, am I my brother's keeper? You know, yeah. uh, and 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 we know that from the New Testament, you know, the Good Samaritan is what Jesus offers in response to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? And really, for us who are part of Catholic organizations like Development and Peace around the world. Uh, that are trying to increase the spirit of solidarity and fraternal love for each other. Uh, the Good Samaritan has always been uh, instrumental. And so here is this beautiful reflection from Pope Francis, inviting us to think about uh, who are we in the Good Samaritan? And, and the, the, what I found interesting is he, he you know, he says that basically all of us at some point in our lives are all of the characters in in this story including the person who was wounded and left on the side of the road mm -hmm. and so i just found like and i found as he talks about you know uh, each of the characters in the story and he says the story begins it begins with the robber the story begins mm -hmm. with the robber uh and 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 in, instantly what he you know poses the question is um, which I found interesting is that uh, the, the, the challenge we all face always when we encounter the suffering, uh, you know, the, the, there are two drives that lead us away from the encounter with the person who is suffering. One is to avoid it, to, and, and so often, and, and for us who live in a country like Canada, it's so easy to avoid and look away from the suffering of other people, especially our brothers and sisters in the global south. Mm -hmm. And then the other opposite thing that I hadn't thought of before, really, until reading this, is that we are tempted to leave him by the side of the road and go after the robber. And, and that the assault on the person actually becomes a basis for reinforcing the divisions that exist between us and for, and for mm -hmm. hatred between each other. And, and we, we almost lose... Um, uh, the perspective of caring for the victim in our thirst for revenge for this act of, of violence that has been carried out on them, which is also right, yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, it so, is that. It, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to, and then I was going to, so, so, you know, he starts with the robber and he also talks about, and I think this is for us at Development of Peace, something we are always challenged uh, with doing in our education work here in Canada about global injustice is he talks about how there is an implicit relationship between uh, the robber and the passersby that 
that the that the that there is a complicity in the sense that well, and he says you know uh, many of us um, don't do anything about suffering in the world because actually we benefit from mm. we benefit from 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 the you know theft of resources and assault on our brothers and sisters throughout the world in order to you know bring resources and wealth into our own countries and so we don't we want to look the other way because we're not robbers ourselves we're not the ones doing it but we benefit from it and that's always been a challenging educational message that we have as development and peace to say that listen supporting our brothers and sisters in the global south is not simply just about you know trying to help them to bring them up to our level quote unquote but that our level of material wealth and development in some ways is connected to the poverty and suffering of other people and we have to transform those structures uh that that create that so there's a that challenge in there as well too and then finally of course mm -hmm. he says he talks about um the 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 the, the uh, temptation to separate our faith from the suffering of other people you know he he says in effect that it is it is noteworthy that the passers-by were uh, religious figures who were concerned with their own purity and and how their purity might be affected if they actually encountered this suffering person on the side of the road uh, mm. and so there's that challenge as well too you know he he says paradoxically there are some people who are not people of faith that are doing the will of God uh, and and so that that that, that challenge is, is there for us in particular as a Catholic development organization and trying to show the place of encountering the suffering and alleviating the suffering of other people within what we believe as Catholics. Yeah, that's, uh, wow, that's such a complete <laughs> uh, <laughs> reflection. Uh, you know, I mean, you have uh, lots of stuff to reflect there and, I, and I'm fascinated by what you said that it doesn't just inform the work that you do overseas in the Global South the work that you do as an organization here in Canada, but your education work and how the work that you do with educating people here. Um, Luke, that's fascinating. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that you were able to come today to tell us about this, to, to help open our eyes a little bit, to see that, that parable of the Good Samaritan from, different, uh, from a different point of view, thanks to the help of the Holy Father's encyclical. Uh, so thank you for being with us today, Luke. My pleasure. Let's just all, yeah, let that question sink in. Who are we in this story? Who are we in this story? Thank you. Luke Stocking from Development and Peace, Caritas, Canada. Uh, talk to you soon, Luke. Take care. That was a conversation I had with Luke Stocking from Development and Peace, which is the Caritas partner for the Canadian bishops. You can learn all about their work at devp.org. I'm Deacon Pedro, and you're listening to a special Fratelli Tutti edition of the Salt and Light Hour. If you missed any part of this program or to listen to it again, you can find it at our website, saltandlighttv.org podcast. talking about the Holy Father's new encyclical, Fratelli Tutti. 
He, it's an encyclical about fraternity and social friendships. Fratelli Tutti is core Catholic social teaching. There isn't much that's new in there. It's just that it's presented in a different light and in a context that makes sense for us today. Much of the document has to do with interreligious dialogue, and so I spoke with the National Director of Aid to the Church in Need Canada, Marie-Claude Lalonde, to help us explore that aspect of the encyclical. Marie-Claude, welcome. Can you first tell us, what do you think of the title, Fratelli Tutti? Well, I like it very much because it's uh, really that idea that all together uh, we can do things, we can change things, and we all belong to the same family, which I think is an important message of the encyclical, that we are all together in whatever we do. We can't act just on our own. So uh, Fratelli Tutti, that's what it says. We're all together, brothers and sisters. And why do you think that now is the time for this encyclical. Why is it important for us today in our day? Well, I think the document is really embedded in our reality because the themes that uh, the Pope addresses in the document are quite uh, modern and, and that's what we see in the media. He's talking about uh, First Nations, Native people, racism, that culture to uh, put walls in between people and culture, the situation of women, uh, social media, and of course he talks about COVID. Uh, that's something you can't avoid nowadays. And I think he was very impacted by the COVID crisis. It shows in there, yeah. In the document, the Holy Father quotes uh, Gandhi, he quotes the Grand Imam Al-Tayeb of Al-Azhar. Um, he also quotes Martin Luther King. Were you surprised to see uh, some of those names in the document? Well, no, I'm not really surprised to see uh, those names in the documents because, uh, I mean, it's Pope Francis. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, yes, I think it's the first time, or, or, or if not uh, recently, that we are saying that our inspiration can come from people from other horizons, from other religions, and I think it's uh, wonderful that the Pope can do that and can acknowledge that there is good uh, in all those traditions. Um, how, Marie-Claude, according to you, does this encyclical give a universal message? Well, the message is clearly meant for everybody. Just if you look at the people who have inspired uh, the Pope, it shows that it's for everybody. And all over the document is talking about us. So it's not you and me, it's us. And just the, the way it is written, it's always how can we be together in a good way, a good manner, and taking care of our poor uh, sisters and brothers all around the world. So it's always how can we together do better, yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, can you share with us uh, which part of the document uh, maybe struck you the most? Well, it is the part where he says that religion is, uh, can be a source of fraternity. Um, he does not distinguish between religions. Um, and for me, that's very good news. Uh, it's true that we have to acknowledge that there is something good in our brothers and sisters' religion and that if we are open to dialogue, 
then uh, something good will come out of it. And for ACN, he, he even says, uh, it, it goes like that, you know well how much suffering is caused by the, the denial of freedom of conscience and religious freedom. And that's a theme that is very dear to us at Aid to the Church in Need, that religious freedom, because we know very well that when you start to restrain or restrict religious freedom, well, then trouble of all kinds will come. It is a source of a conflict in itself. That, yeah, right. That's in chapter eight. And as you said, it, it directly relates to the work that you're doing at Aid to the Church in Need. So how, how would you like to use practically this document in your daily work at Aid to the Church in Need? Yes, I, I think that this document is um, telling us that we are on the right path, that what we are doing uh, for our brothers and sisters is something that has to be done if we want to reach that uh, fraternity and social friendship uh, that the Pope is talking about. And um, I think it reinforces our message and we will certainly be inspired uh, by these lines along the way, uh, yes, for the coming weeks and months, of course. Right, um, you mentioned chapter eight um, and that deals with that interreligious dialogue and dialogue is not a new theme for Pope Francis, um, but can you share with us your thoughts on how different religions, despite their differences, can help us respond to that call to fraternity? Well, I think the, the first thing we need to admit is that uh, maybe we don't have all the truth. Maybe there is truth in our brothers and sisters' religions as well. And to focus on what is... Um, the, I, I don't think it's the appropriate word to say the same, but what is common, common goals that all these religions have. And if we take those goals and we... Uh, advance all together, I'm sure that there a lot of good will come out of it um, because we all have uh, something to say in terms of the dignity of human beings, for example. So I think that working together can bring a lot of good. Right. Now, we heard earlier in the program Cardinal Collins, uh, Archbishop of Toronto, speak to us about the figure of the Good Samaritan, who is very prominent in um, the encyclical. Can you tell us, Marie-Claude, uh, how does the parable of the Good Samaritan inspire you personally? Uh, well, the Great Samaritan is, has always been, at least for me, a source of, uh, of um, uh, inspiration in what we do. What I found very interesting in that document is that it's not just the story in itself, but it's the the angle or the point of view of all the different characters in the story. And one of the things that struck me is that the Pope is saying, what did the Good Samaritan do? Well, he gave his time. And don't we all lack time to do all kinds of things? So he gave him time. And that's where the story really starts, when the Samaritan gives time to the wounded person. Uh, in the story. So I think it's, uh, there's a lot to take from that, uh, from that in the Bible, yes. Now, finally, Marie-Claude, uh, what are your hopes? What do you expect from this uh, new document, Fratelli Tutti? In fact, I expect that everybody will find 
something for them in there. Uh, there's a lot of topics that are addressed. And I think by doing that, there's a word for each of us in there. Uh, whether you take care of religious persecution, of poor people, of racism. Uh, I even think about the people who are working in the hospitals at this moment. Uh, I think there's something for everybody in there. And if we all grab a little something and bring it forward, I think it's uh, it's going to achieve that common goal that we talk about in the encyclical. Thank you, Marie-Claude. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today on this uh, document and for giving us some uh, words of inspiration. Uh, take care. Thank you. That was a conversation I had with Marie-Claude Lalonde, National Director of Aid to the Church in Need Canada. You can learn about their work at acn-canada.org. The way Pope Francis describes fraternity and social friendship is remarkably similar to an African philosophy called Ubuntu. I was intrigued about this, and so I spoke with Father Stan Chu Ilo. He is a Nigerian priest teaching and doing research at DePaul University in Chicago. Father Stan, uh, it's so good to see you. Well, welcome to the program today. Thank you, Pedro. So can you help us understand what is Ubuntu? Yes, Ubuntu is actually an Nguni word uh, from South Africa that says that we are because of the other. I am because of you. We are through one another. That means that I am related to you, therefore we are. So Ubuntu, you find um, different variants of it in uh, different African African um, ethnic groups, mm -hmm. underlies the mutuality of our shared space, underlies the sacredness of our interconnectedness. It underlies above all the fact that by participating in the life of one another and in the life of nature, in the life of God, in the life of the entire cosmos, we are really sharing in abundant life. So it's about the principle for human and cosmic flourishing is rooted in this bond of shared life, wherein I see myself in others and others see themselves in me, as well as in nature and in God. Okay, I was, I was going to ask you if it also extended to, to the environment, to nature, and, and to God. It sounds very Christian. Is this what, Father, what, what uh, the Holy Father is talking about in Fratelli Tutti? Well, you know, I, I notice not only in Fratelli Tutti, but also uh, in Laudato Si, this uh, consistent use of our interconnectedness. You know, in chapter two of Laudato Si, you know, I argue that the key to understanding entire the entire Laudato Si is relatedness, how we are related to nature. But then, as I read uh, Fratelli, Fratelli Tutti, I see clearly, again, like in 182, number 182, the Pope says that each of us is fully a person when we are part of a people. Yeah. This is Ubuntu, clearly, that I am only when I belong to a community. Right. If, my, if I am diminished, 
the entire community is diminished. If nature is diminished, I am suffering. So this bond that we find, you know, Pope uh, Francis shows clearly this uh, social friendship that he captures as um, a bond of unity, a bond of fraternity, a bond of social love, a bond of social participation and an openness to uh, universality that is a culture of encounter. This, you know, I have argued in a different uh, in a different um, essay that yeah. this is the key to understanding actually Christianity. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think a lot of people might, I mean, as a, as an idea, as a, as a philosophy, it, it's it's brilliant. It makes perfect sense, and as you say, it's very Christian. Um, is it easy to make concrete in our day-to-day -day living? What, what suggestions or advice would you give our viewers as to how to make it tangible, make it concrete? I think we live in troubling times. COVID-19 has shown us that we are in this together. We are yoked by a common destiny. This is the ideal that Jesus Christ preached, the ideal of the Good Samaritan the one who stops at the face of a wounded and bleeding person to bring succor and made then the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan made the wounded man his own friend, his own family. Now, we have the pandemic of racism that has been there with humanity. We have the crisis of populism that the Pope talks about. So first of all, I think is we need a change of mind. Ubuntu is a worldview. So how you look at the world defines how you act in the world. Mm -hmm. How you see people defines how you relate to them. And I think what the Pope is telling us is just making explicit, reminding us what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Whatsoever you do, to anyone you do to me. And that then underlies the basis of Christian humanism. You yeah. know, um, so yeah. it's about changing the way we look at, at the world. And secondly, Ubuntu is also a way of life. So it's a worldview, it's also a way of life. Christianity is a worldview and is also a way of life. And that way of life is what the Pope points out clearly that we must go beyond individualism we must recognize everyone as made in the image and likeness of God. We must recognize, especially beginning from our own context, our local communities, our families, where we can make God present by seeing the, uh, the face of God in one another. Yes, yes. So maybe it's actually not that complicated. It's very, very simple to love each other as we love ourselves, which is as you said, the basic message of Christianity. Um, Ubuntu, a great, great uh, gift that Africa has for the rest of the world. Um, Father Stan, thank you for, for uh, uh, opening our eyes a little bit uh, to this, uh, this concept today and for explaining it to us. Uh, it's good to see you and uh, all the best. My pleasure. Thank you. That was a conversation I had earlier this week with Father Stan Chuilo, professor at DePaul University. To watch this interview, as well as the others, you can go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash fratelli tutti.
Much has been said about how Fratelli Tutti is a direct follow-up to the Pope's previous encyclical on the care for our common home, Laudato Si. And to find out more, I spoke with our dear friend, Sister Damian Marie Savino. She's a Franciscan sister of the Eucharist and the Dean of Science and Sustainability at Aquinas College in Michigan. Sister Damian Marie, it's so good to have you with us today. Yes, thank you, Pedro. It's always good to see you too. I think I can say that you're a Laudato Si expert, and so I'm, I'm curious to know when you read Fratelli Tutti, uh, what are the, some of the similarities that you found between the two documents? There are many, but a couple of note. They both begin with the words of St. Francis, so Laudato Si, the words that open St. Francis's Canticle of the Creatures, Praise Be to Thee, and Fratelli Tutti, the words of St. Francis to his brothers in his admonitions. I also noted that um, St. Pope Francis says that he was inspired by St. Francis in both of the documents to write them both. And he was inspired by also ecumenical encounters. Laudato Si was inspired by Pope Francis's encounter with the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew of the Orthodox Church, who's spoken a lot about creation in Orthodox teaching. And then Fratelli Tutti was inspired by Pope Francis's historic encounter in 2019 with the Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayeb in yeah. Abu Dhabi. Right. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think that that idea of culture of encounter, and it's not a new theme for Pope Francis, but we found that in Laudato Si, but it's also really almost taken to the next level in this encyclical, the idea of, of that cu culture of encounter. I know. It's amazing. Um, and that, I think, is a very emblematic of Pope Francis's personality and his pontificate. In the culture of encounter is central in Laudato Si, but it's a stronger sense of encountering or fraternity with creation. Although in Laudato Si, it points to Fratelli Tutti because it's never just creation on its own. If the Pope emphasizes in Laudato Si, it's fraternity with God, with creation and with others. And his emphasis on integral ecology by necessity, we can't care for creation unless we love one another. So the seeds are there, but the culture of encounter in uh, Fratelli Tutti, he really develops that and even practicals on how we might might uh, actually make a culture of encounter and how the culture encounter is the seeds for how we're going to get to peace and to true mm -hmm. fraternity. Mm -hmm. um, is culture culture of encounter and dialogue, are those two the same thing? Culture of encounter, I would say, as I read Fratelli Tutti, would be the first step. And in that step, we, we have to reach out. So we need to be a church that's reaching out to others, reaching out to the world, reaching out to our neighbors and to those that we don't even know and making them our neighbors. And in that culture of encounter, we have to be very honest, he says, about our differences and yet acknowledge that there is an objective truth. Otherwise, we can't have true dialogue. So in the encounter, we reach out, we have an, an openness, and then we could maybe step into dialogue if we can get to the sense of trust, where we will trust that there is an objective truth, even though we might have different perspectives on it, which are welcomed. And one of the, the heart of that objective truth is says the Pope, the inalienable dignity of each human person, regardless of race, religion, or status, or whether they're disabled, or every human person is loved, every human person is willed, every human person is necessary to the fraternity right. that we need in this world. Yeah, and I guess 
I mean, that's, that's really the one thing that we would have in common to begin that dialogue. I can't let you go, sister, without asking. I mean, you're a sister, you're a Franciscan sister of the Eucharist. Um, it's Pope Francis inspired by Saint Francis. Um, uh, the, the, is this idea of encounter and dialogue, would you say that it's a very Franciscan thing? I would say so, and in fact, reading it, it kind of um, makes me realize how Franciscan we are in our community, that mm -hmm. we really try to meet people where they are. And we deal with people of all different races and religions in all of our educational or counseling apostolates. And I think that sense of encounter is just central to who we are. It's, it's central. And then when you grow an encounter to dialogue, then you grow into love where you're willing maybe to be Eucharistic for another, to lay down your life or to sacrifice for the other person that you love. The other thing I think is the poverty, the sense of poverty that mm. we, is so central, was so central to St. Francis, Lady Poverty, he wanted to wed. And for us, it is too, and for Pope Francis, but a poverty where we want to embrace the poverty, it's not misery. We want to embrace the sense of poverty where we're happy with less, and we're happy in the moment, meeting the person in the moment. And that is the poverty of our lives, really. Yeah, interesting, yeah. That's a whole other, <laughs> a whole other theme right there. I mean, there's certainly it's so much to this document. Uh, I really en encourage our viewers to to look it up and read it. Um, Sister Damien Marie, it's so good to 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 have you join us today to give us a little insights and uh, a little bit of what you know to help us understand the document a little better. Uh, Thank you, Deacon Pedro. That was a conversation I had earlier this week with Sister Damian Marie Savino, Dean of Science and Sustainability at Aquinas College. And that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember that if you missed any part of this program, you need to go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash podcast. That's where you can find all our Salt and Light Hour programs. You can also subscribe to the Salt and Light Hour wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to read Fratelli Tutti or any papal documents, you should head to the Vatican website. You'll find lots of really good things there. You can also head to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash fratelli tutti. It's a special site we prepared for this encyclical, and that's where you can find all our videos, these interviews uh, on video, and articles that we've written on the encyclical. I, I really hope that today's show has nourished you and uh, given you lots of food for thought and that you're able to begin living fraternity in your own life as it is a simple yet concrete way to counter the darkness and division in the world. Thank you for being with me today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special Fratelli Tutti edition of the Salt and Light Hour.